Welcome to Magic Numbers. This is episode number 69. And today we're going to talk about the archetypist, the tool I developed with Pekka Puli. And we're having one edition, so we're going to try to use maths to determine good builds of uh, in each color pair that maybe are not as obvious from the generic data, because using that tool, we can go a bit deeper and we can actually find clusters of uh, maybe more niche but successful decks. Uh, but before we go into that, um, this podcast is sponsored uh, by mtgazone.com. Uh, you can go there and you can read great articles, um, including mine, though not, not all of them great, maybe. I think that the last one was actually quite good. I wrote the uh, topic from the last seminar about speed of the format, but I did it in a sort of style of a murder mystery when I was trying to discover all the clues and, and figure out what's going on. And I think it worked quite well. But apart from me, if you're bored with my content, there is plenty of good stuff in there. There is J2S Josh writing about limited. There is uh, Paolo Vitor Damodarosa writing strategies about constructed and general gameplay. So there's plenty of um, plenty of stuff in there. So just go click, look for decks. Uh, um, unfortunately, you don't even you can't even tell them that I sent you. But uh, uh, if you do some clicking on my articles, that well, that should convince them that I'm actually a useful asset for them. Uh, but the podcast is also sponsored by you, dear listeners, because I have a Patreon and um, yeah, uh, it's stagnating, but I would assume that's going to happen between formats. Uh, so, uh, you know, if, if you want to support me additionally, um, that would be a great thing to do. Also, you get some benefits. For example, you have access to my slides, um, which might help you consume my content, but uh, on higher tiers, you get extra rewards you're going to see in a second what kind of uh, luxurious um, uh, content you can get when you are on the higher tiers of the Patreon. And okay, with that, we can uh, go into the uh, preamble, my usual preamble. And uh, this time, my preamble is that even worst color pairs will have pockets of brilliance. And that is very often lost in generic data. Uh, when you look at the data for color pairs, you will see that several color pairs in this format having a pretty poor win rate. And that doesn't mean that there are no good decks in there. It just means that either they're very tough to build and you have to know exactly what to do in order to, um, in order to uh, get there, or you need to be lucky and it needs to be just exactly the right amount open and you need to have a couple of bombs. And, you know, in, in, in those cases, it's, it's, it's pretty difficult to, um, um, it's pretty difficult to, uh, to find the, perfect um, deck in this format because you need to be in the right seat in the right pod. But in some cases, you will be able to find those decks that are based on commons and uncommons that just don't have the obvious kind of build. And and, and this is why I started doing Archetypist. Uh, Archetypist, first of all, is a tool that will let you find successful clusters of decks, but also it finds maybe the more niche builds for even successful color pairs. Because as you will see today, there is a successful poison white and red deck. I had no idea that it exists, but data clearly suggests that it does exist. And you will see how obvious it is when you look at the data um, and that such a thing uh, is there. And knowing those things is absolutely useful for you if you are drafting a lot, because the more you draft, the more likely that you're going to be on the table where actually one of those niche decks is open. And if you know more or less, how does it look like, 
you know exactly what to do and you might benefit from it rather than wasting your draft because uh, all the you know naya colors in this set uh, are, are are quite heavily drafted and uh, maybe maybe knowing what to do to have a successful blue green deck or successful blue red deck uh, might be useful for that okay done with the preamble but now as a patreon mogul I also have duties to my patrons and Mercurio Blue is my uh, top tier patron. Therefore, he gets to choose a listener question. Now, the more of those patrons we'll get, the less chance that Mercurio is going to be the one that picks the question because of course I will select from multiple uh, submissions then what we are going to do. But since we only have Mercurio, he gets 100% exclusive access to question of the week. And then his question was, which cards are the most misplayed cards in one? And obviously the question is very vague, which gives, which is great for me because I can pick my uh, pick my heel to die on, and uh, and basically um, I can decide what does it mean misplayed, and make myself uh, make my, make life easier for myself. Um, in this case, I decided to understand misplay as cards that are played too often based on their win rate and that opens a very easy simple and elegant analysis for me from which i actually learned something about the distribution of the gameplay to um to win rate uh, that i didn't expect so what i did first of all is i oh where's my trusty laser we need a trusty laser uh i plotted all the cards and in, in, in this graph you have all the commons I, I i selected them by rarity and i only looked at commons and uncommons because i thought that's probably paying my my dues to the society i plotted all the cards based on how many games were played so here we have cards that are played the most and here we have cards that are played the least and then game and hand win rate and it's you probably should expect the cards that are played uh, more frequently are good cards therefore they have a higher win rate and they're I checked different um, uh, different trend lines, and I chose the one that fits those um, those dots the best, uh, because it seems like the cards that are played the least are really really bad, and that's why they are played the least. Uh, but then it sort of flattens and and um, uh, and increases slightly slower. So I fitted um, a sort of logarithmic curve into it, and I got the equation. I got the fit, r squared. That that number tells us. How well does this trend line fit with those uh, points or more precisely how well do those points fit with this trend line and the number 0.729 through 4 it says that the trend line explains sort of 73 percent of the um of the variance between those points which is a really good fit actually so uh, what i can say from uh, looking at those numbers is that um how often do 17 lens users play a particular card is a good predictor of the win rate. But of course, there are some cards that are slightly higher than the, the, than the trend line. There are some cards that are slightly lower than the trend line. And um, based on that, I decided to measure the distance from the trend line of each point and pick 10 cards that are furthest from it as the cards that are most misplayed because they are played as cards that have a win rate of here, but have a win rate of here. So for example, this point has a win rate of around 52%. Uh, and uh, based on how it's often displayed, it should have a win rate of around 55%. Uh, and uh, here is the top 10 misplayed commons. 
Uh, number one is Icor Synthesizer, the uh, blue 1-3 that can uh, become a 3-3 unblockable. Um, then we have Mesmeric Dose, um, the blue Charm Sleep card. Experimental Augury, Prolox, Pyresis, Kixian Raptor, Gitaxian Raptor, all of them are blue. So all the cards that are misplayed are blue. So basically what this data tells us is that the biggest misplay of all is playing blue in this format. Uh, and that's, that's a sad conclusion. And there is one um, card that definitely uh, I felt is, was overplayed. I'm a big Prophetic Prism hater, independent of the format. I think that this card was probably never that good, although I can imagine formats where it would be okay. Um, I think that maybe it was good in the first printing, but then it just like cruised on its, um, on its reputation in other formats when people were playing it because they remembered it was good in the previous ones. But I never find it, found it particularly uh, important, attractive, and uh, well, yeah, that kind of stuff. Um, then we have Anoint with Affliction. Uh, so a really solid black removal, but it is underperforming compared to how uh, often it's being played. Um, I think that it's nothing to do with the power of the card because the card is powerful on its own. I think that the, the problem is to play it, you need to play black and black is still overdrafted and then... Um, and then uh, uh, because black is overdrafted, anoint with affliction is weaker than the card is on paper. I think that anoint with affliction has the same problem as feed the serpent in Kaldheim. Feed the serpent is a four mana exile target creature instant spell. And it's a great card. It's just that Kaldheim was, had a pretty tough relationship with black. And that, I think, dropped the win rate of the card, uh, even though the card itself was good. The surroundings of it made it a bit weaker. So Anoint with Affliction might be misplayed, not because the card is poor, but because black is not so great. And then we have uh, Malkatra's Watcher, uh, Bring the Ending, another bunch of blue cards, and Blightbelly Rat, um, and black common. Uh, again, Toxic Black Creature will be almost certainly overdrafted by the arena population. Therefore, it's hard to find pods where this, um, where this color uh, and and especially toxic from this color is being open. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to answer a question from you every week. I just uh, picked the, one of the two that you gave me last week because I did the last one. But hey, there's more. Not only I'm going to look at the mi most misplayed commons, but I'm going to also look at the most misplayed uncommons. So I made a separate curve from the uncommons. It's the same situation, logarithmic curve. I have the equation. Um, I have the um, uh, R squared, so this Sort of the trend line explains 73% of the variance we're observing, consistent with the previous graph when it was also 73% roughly. Um, uh, so yeah, obviously you can see that this card, for example, is a bargain because uh, it's probably underplayed uh, comp compared to how good it is. Um, and this one is underplayed, so uh, I'm measuring the difference between uh, where the trend line is and where the points are and looking for the ones that are the furthest from the trend line. Uh, so here uh, we have Mirror Convert as the most misplayed uncommon. Um, again, a card that I will like way more than Prophetic Prism in theory, but it just doesn't work very well in this format, it seems. Because the card looks great. It has some offensive capabilities because it's a toxic cr creature. Um, it can fix your mana at, at a cost, but it can fix your mana. Um, it's also an early blocker if you need one, but it just didn't deliver in this format. And also splashing was not a smart idea most of the time. Said the man who trophied with a junk deck. So yeah, it's possible, but it just, um, it's not always, uh, it's not always going to 
happen. Um, of course, being misplayed doesn't mean that the card is always bad. It just means that if you would take an average game that the card was played, probably it shouldn't have been played. There will be probably decks where it's going to be great. No, no, no. Mirror Convert is the 2-1 that uh, taps uh, for uh, mana of any color and has Toxic 1 and is a 2-1 for 2. Um, then we have Prosthetic Injector, the uh, equipment that gives Toxic and plus O plus 2 to your creatures. Thrumming Bird, uh, that's a blue card, so uh, it fits the previous trend of, um, of the blue cards being uh, basically misplayed because you shouldn't play blue, uh, as the data suggests. Then we have Churning Reservoir. Uh, I think that this card is also good in very narrow, very narrow homes. And actually, I'm super happy that we're doing Archetypist today because we'll be able to find, I think, a cluster where Churning Reservoir was good in uh, red-green decks. So we can see what makes the Churning Reservoir deck tick. It's nice because uh, I, I, I ran out of time to do that analysis, but I also was planning to maybe do Archetypist for individual cards. And I wanted to make exactly Churning Reservoir, and I wanted to make the the white enchantment that uh, whenever an artifact enters the battlefield, creature gets plus one, plus one, and Vigilance, and try to find which decks are good decks that contain this card. Uh, Chitterling Skitterling, also overplayed. Magmatic Sprinter. Chitterling Skitterling, the one for that um, um, you can sacrifice creatures if you have corrupted uh, this ability for nothing, and then you draw a card. Uh, Magmatic Sprinter, uh, that's the 3-2 with haste that puts two um, oil counters on a target creature and then at the end of your turn you either remove two oil counters from it or return it to your hand. Troller Drake, that's another in the blue thing. Uh, um, I mean, a card is good, but again, hampered by the color it's in. Um, Icor Plate Golem, I think that this card also will see some homes for it. But it's, I think, overplayed. And um, uh, yeah, uh, I think people try to put it in decks where it shouldn't be, and that probably uh, makes it overplayed. I think it has narrow homes, and, and people try to play it more wide. Uh, Serum Core, Chimera, and Tamiyo's Immobilizer, they fit into the trend of blue things not being great. Tamiyo's Immobilizer, of course, it's a good card. It's just probably not the reason to be blue it's a probably reward for having other cards that put you into the blue and um uh, and then you can play tummy as a mobilizer and i'm pretty sure that people splash tummy as a mobilizer also when they shouldn't um so yeah these are the most misplayed cards again lots of blue cards and lots of cards that want to promote this dirty kind of uh gameplay um, which is high risk and will only work when you have a very specific deck so off to the main topic ecology and magic so i am an ecologist that's my job i do ecology things every day uh, in my work and ecology is of course the study of interactions between species and the ecosystem uh, my speciality is microbial ecology i look at the communities of bacteria and i try to figure out what makes them tick and to do so i have to look at very complex networks of species uh my you know, uh, my, my bacterial ecosystems, they have something like a billion bacteria per one ml um, that contains thousands of species. Uh, most of them I can't even find uh, unless I go really like uh, hardcore on sequencing. Um, and yeah, I basically have to figure out how those networks operate by looking at the interactions with them and trying to manipulate them in an experimental way. Because I am an experimental ecologist, I, I can actually manipulate them and 
change something myself so I can change the feeding regime or I can uh, introduce an antibiotic and see what happens to my communities and which communities behave in which way. Are there some universal trends and stuff like that? Of course, there are other ecologists that study natural systems and then they cannot manipulate them. They have to see what happens in them and infer from what's happening in them of what's going on inside of the bacterial community. Um, and ecosystems can exhibit some kind of a measurable function. Uh, so, for example, if you have a marine ecosystem, you, uh, you can measure, let's say, CO2 uh, assimilation. You can measure photosynthesis in ecosystems in the sea, and then you can see which bacteria are incorporating CO2, which are important for that, and how the photosynthesis in the sea is working. And also, by measuring the function, you can assess the health of the ecosystem. I work on the bacteria that produce methane, and in my case, it's very easy. If they produce a lot of methane, they will be healthy because if they don't produce methane, they accumulate acetate, so sort of acid vinegar. And if they accumulate acetate, they kill themselves. Uh, therefore, they, uh, they, they die out. So basically, for me, the more methane they produce, the better they do. And that's very easily measurable function. And by doing that, we can draw conclusions on what are the key species, like which species is missing, and then the function of my uh, ecosystem is suffering, I can figure that out and then I can do my manipulations better and I can suggest people who want to produce uh, biogas how to do that. And I can also suggest people who want to stop methane production in natural systems how to, um, how to make that happen. That was a lot of science that has nothing to do with magic. <laughs> yes, that, that's a very good description, MTM. I play God to a bunch of farting bacteria. That's, that's exactly what I'm doing. Um, although they don't seem to worship me, judging by my last experiments that failed miserably. Maybe they're going through the enlightenment period. Um, so, ecology and magic. How do I link that to magic, actually? Because it was a nice tangent, but I mean, I'm pretty sure that most of you want to hear about magic, not about my struggles of making bacteria do what I want them to do. Um, how to compare different ecosystems and decks? Um, is there a missing thing? Ah, there we go. There's a there's definitely a, a, a missing uh, a missing thing. Ecology and magic. So magic decks are interactions between cards and metagame. If you go back, ecology and bacteria was interacting interactions between species and ecosystems. So cards and in a metagame, so cards will be like species and metagame decks will be like ecosystems. Decks are complex networks of multiple card times. That's the definition of ecosystem. So each card in the deck will play, play some sort of a function. And decks can exhibit some kind of a measurable function, which can be, for example, a win rate. And that's what we're going to be measuring. By measuring win rate, we can assess the power of the deck. Um, and by doing that, we can also draw conclusions on what are the key cards and, um, and, how, uh, and, and, and what are the key helpers of those key cards. Um, so basically, the idea is to compare different ecosystems slash decks and try to cluster them based on their composition similarities. And then when we cluster them based on their similarities, we can assign secondary traits onto them, like for example, the win rate. So an example, uh, this, is a, this is a picture of 2000 decks converted to numbers. So I took composition of those decks and I sort of converted those compositions into distance matrices um, in multi-dimensional space. Then I used the mathematical uh, equivalent of Platting something flat, um, and, and that creates this sort of two-dimensional plot. 
Uh, basically, what you need to know about this plot is that the closer two dots are to each other, the more similar they are. So like these ones will be sort of similar, but this and, and, and this will be quite different from each other. Um, but of course, if you see that kind of random blob, bloody pop-up coming out, I hate what's going on in there. Whoa. Do you see? The, okay, yeah. Uh, stupid uh, Epic Games uh, started popping out in the middle of my slide. Thank you very much, Epic Games, for bringing magic, but not for the pop-ups. Um, of course, this blob doesn't tell you anything. It's just a blob of same color dots. So how do we make something useful out of it? And this is where some uh, smart application of function comes in handy. Uh, I can look at the local win rate. So I can check the average win rate of each deck and its neighbors. I thought that looking at the win rate of the deck only is problematic because there is a lot of variance in how decks perform. Very often you have this you know, trophy deck that goes 0-3. Very often you just get a trophy with a random deck that uh, you were not expecting to go higher than 2-3. But if you look at multiple decks, uh, you might actually get somewhere. And then you can apply that to the plot. So looking at the win rates of the deck and its neighbors looks like this, that I take a deck and I find, fifth, well, in this example, 15 closest neighbors. In my data, I'll actually look at the 19 closest neighbor plus the deck itself. So I look at the 20 deck clusters. Um, and I calculate the win rate of all those decks. So if that, this one went 7-2, this one went 1-3, I just add all those things up and calculate the win rate of those 20 decks. This, of course, increases the sample size and should reduce the variance and make some kind of consistency. Um, and then I look at the same thing for another deck. And of course, it will have similar but slightly different neighbors. And you know, if these were very successful and these ones are not successful, there will be quite a difference between the win rate of this deck and this deck. So um, uh, um, the ones that are close should have, in theory, like relatively similar win rates. Um, but if you go further and further, you will see big difference and they should be also uniform. So that allows me to, um, to look at those clusters of successful decks. Uh, and then there are several possible scenarios. This is one scenario. Uh, we have decks that are great, very good, medium and underperformers. That's just for example. I mean, um, uh, you don't need to, there's nothing like, it's, it's sort of arbitrarily assigned. Um, and, one possible scenario is that good decks are random. And here you see like a patchwork of all the dots mixed together. So good decks are next to the great decks and next to the underperformers, and there's no sense in that. And this is a picture of a random format where actually what you have in your deck doesn't matter. All the cards are playable or all the cards are rubbish and uh, everything depends on how you play and how lucky you were on the draws. So the composition of your decks is absolutely, uh, uh, it means nothing really. Obviously, we don't expect to see that scenario, but that's one possibility. And I think that maybe there are some formats where those kind of things were happening, but flat level of, of power was so flat that uh, you actually get this patchworky kind of structure. But there are other scenarios possible. And here is one where there is general one good build. You see that there's a bunch of gray decks and you see this blue cluster will mean that these this, they, these are the, all the good decks and they are all in the same place, which means that they're all similar to your to themselves. And this is typical for a color pair where there is one consensus build that is good and other builds are just rubbish. And we will see, I think, one of those uh, in, in, in the archetype is today. Actually, one of the color pairs has really one strong successful build and the rest just looks mediocre. And I think that the most common scenario is that there are several good builds, 
maybe one of them is dominant and maybe one of them is niche. Um, uh, but there are several builds, uh, slightly different or sometimes quite different from each other. Um, and we can look at all those clusters using the archetypist tool. The archetypist by Pekka Puli and me. Uh, so I provide the data, Pekka Puli provides amazing visualizing skills. Um, and it's a tool for visualizing the ecology-like data um, in, uh, in Magic Dex. Um, and without further ado, I will stop the presentation and we can actually look at the archetypist itself. Do, 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 do. Break, 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 break. Okay, archetypist is here. Okay, so here is the archetypist um, by Pekka and me. And so what you will see below is a plot of 1000 recent, and here you can choose the color pair, best of one dra draft decks in Phyrexia Obi-Wan on Magic Arena. Similar decks uh, are closer to each other on the map and decks with more wins have bigger dots. So for example, you can see this is probably like a decent deck. Can you see the cursor? Yeah. And, and, and this is probably not so good. Um, each deck is given a value according to the average win rate of it, and it's 19 really closest uh, neighbors. And decks above 60%, and here I can actually play with that. Um, so it can be any number within the limits, I think, um, are highlighted in blue, and decks below the overall average win rate, 55% in case of this format, are light red. Blue clusters can help define different strong deck composition of the color pair. Create boxes by dragging on the graph to explore, to explore clusters. So first deck that we have is white blue. And I can play with this number a bit to see where the, where the clusters sort of start. And I think that I can see that there is like two major clusters, I think. Uh, one will be somewhere here of successful decks. Obviously, there are many clusters of rubbish decks in blue-white. And one is here. And maybe there's one here. Let's look at that. So let's see what uh, is inside of those. Uh, let's start with cluster zero. So the one that popped out first and then cluster one. Um, so what we have when we look into the cluster, we have the average win rate of the cluster, which is converted in on number of average number of wins. So these are all on average, like sort of four, three, five, three decks, which is decent for uh, if you play arena, because that means you're getting your gems back. We have 64 decks in this cluster. So, you know, 64 decks with, uh, with, um, with 4.3 wins, that's quite a lot. That's, you know, that's um, hundreds of hundreds of wins uh, are made by those decks. Um, and main two cards that we see, Eye of Malkator, 2.4 average copies per deck and Mandible Justiciar, 1.6 uh, average copies per deck. Then we have Escape uh, Experiment, that's the 2-1 two, for two, um, um, that whenever the attacks target defending creature will get minus X minus O. Uh, Surgical Skull Bomb, Chrome Prowler, the Downcat, Malkatras Watcher, Cephalopod Sentry, all these cards are uh, having one or more copies on average across those 64 decks, which is, you know, impressive. Furthermore, what you can see is uh, this gray line here. Uh, this one tells us what is the average in the archetype altogether. So like across all the thousand decks, you will probably have like an average of one copy of uh, Eye of Malkatra, but 2.4 is way more than the one. So uh, there is definitely an overrepresentation of the Eye of Malkatra in those decks. Um, you have slightly more Anctus retrofitters than average would um, 
um, than the average would suggest. But for example, one card that you have lower numbers of is a mesmerizing dose. Normally, you probably have like 0.8 copies, and in these decks, you have um, 0.5 copies. So uh, that one is lower. You have very few Basilica Skull Bombs, a uh, few Charge of the Mites. Uh, but, um, but yeah, generally, this is the build where you have artifact, 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 not an artifact, but uh, synergistic with artifacts, not an artifact, but important artifacts, uh, artifact payoff, artifact mm, underplayed something artifact, something that brings artifacts potentially. So you can see that the composition of the successful decks is like really heavy on having artifacts. You can look at some of the seven win um, tech lists and you have here, you have four Mandible Justiciar, three Eye of Malkator, two Chrome Prowlers, two Incisor Gliders, Malkator's Watchers. Uh, all of those things are artifacts. You have two plated onslaughts. So this is like a very aggressive version of, uh, of this deck. Now how? Tamiya's logbook somehow made it in there. But uh, anyway, um, two veils of assimilation. Exactly, someone is noticing. The uh, the card that I plan to maybe look at where's the success for that. Well, clearly in this deck, because if everything that you play is an artifact, veil of assimilation is actually a good card, uh, especially when you have, um, especially when you have something like, uh, what's the name? Stefala put sentry in your deck, then you can actually attack, block very well, and, and win the game like that. I, I lost a couple of games to this kind of combination. And other decks are sort of similar. There is a, um, there is three Justiciars, two Cephalopod sentries, and two Eyes of Malkator, um, some cheap creatures in Dune Mover and Escape Experiment that are also artifacts in Scissor Glider. Um, they play Maze Bomb, Maze Skull Bomb, just probably two. Uh, had the uh, artifact count. Vial of Assimilation is also here. Unctus, Mycosynth Gardens. So, you know, like all in kind of artifact strategy in this cluster. If we look at the second cluster. This one looks pretty similar, but it has fewer Eyes of Malkator. Instead of 2.4, we have 1.6 copies. Uh, it's called Archetypist. Um, I'll give the link at the end of the presentation, I think, for it. But I think you can, it's Googleable, I'm pretty sure, because it's been around for a while. But this is the tool that I'm developing, and then it's actually designed for playing with it. So uh, you're happy to play with it. Uh, Archetypist.netlify.app, that's the link for it. Mm, wait a second, I'm just going to copy it and paste. There we go. Um, so it's a very much similar version. It just changes it slightly the um, um, the amounts of those uh, those cards. Uh, so uh, it's not different from the first cluster. And let's look at the third one. Is it very different? I think the third one is clustering much further from these two. So uh, it looks like it's a, a, a different type. And what you can see is that this one only has 0.7 copies of Eye of Malkator per deck. Which means that here we found a sub-build of blue-white that doesn't want to use the Eye of Malkator, but it's still successful, which is nice. It has Chrome Prowlers as the top card, but it also has a lot of mesmerizing doses, something that we didn't want to see in the previous decks. They were actually underplayed compared to the average. In this cluster, they are actually, you, you actively want to have them. You still have a Cephalopod Sentry, 1.2 copies per deck. So this deck is probably wants to have Cephalopod Sentries. Um, as a sort of defensive slash offensive creature. There's Malkatra's Watchers, 
there's planar disruptions. So we already had mesmerizing dose as the enchantment removal and planar disruption as an enchantment removal. Um, so it looks like slow, slightly controlly version. Uh, you can see that it has 0.6 copies of Malkator Overseer of Purity. So this is a rare. So having 0.6 copies of it in those decks means quite a lot, actually, because it's so hard to get that kind of uh, those kind of numbers of, of a rare in your deck, which means that this these builds are are, are built heavily around Malkator. And I'm pretty sure that these are sort of blue-white control decks that have some artifact synergies because they are so plentiful, uh, those type of synergies in the deck, in the, in the color combination. Uh, but they focus on slowing down the opponent, making sure that their creature are useless by playing those Gitaxian Raptors, by playing those uh, Cephalopod Sentries. If something manages to be too problematic, you have Mesmerizing those and you have Planar Disruption to deal with them. And then over time, you will play this Cephalopod Sentry, grow it, and maybe start chipping in for a couple. You'll have this Malkator to build value over time. You have your Unctus's Retrofitter to um, uh, to produce a 4-4 out of something. You have your Downcats that can actually make uh, quite a nice way of racing and, and blocking and, and surviving until the moment when you can take over the game. But it's a different build of the white blue that is in my that is not based on this eye of Malkatras. But um, uh, don't worry, this is just the first uh, the first archetype, so so you didn't miss much, Mike. <laughs> this is just the first archetype that we're going through. So yeah, you're, you're you're all fine, and it will be released on YouTube, so you can catch up and you can go and play with the archetypes yourselves. Everything is possible. Okay, that's blue white. Two builds, basically one that is super hardcore artifact aggressive, and these are the successful clusters. Let's look at this one just, yeah, Eye of Malkator a lot. This one will also be Eye of Malkator a lot, yeah. So all the successful builds have like lots of copies of Eye of Malkator and go absolutely all in on the artifacts. And this may be more niche kind of controlling build uh, is less dependent on the Eyes of Malkator, but it does need a lot of those uh, enchantment removal spells uh, in it. Wondering what this one is. This one is something in between, but that's still moderately successful. Uh, let's look at the blue-black now. Order is slightly random. As you can see here, you see a lot of red dots because this archetype is just not very successful. Because it's not very successful, you can clearly see already here that just by looking at the gray, uh, we have three cluster, maybe fourth one here. Uh, so we will go down a bit with the uh, win rate to, to, to localize those clusters. Oh, that's 55, you know? But we still want to see something that's slightly above average. So here, cluster one, cluster two, cluster three, and cluster F. Let's look at that from the bottom. So the first cluster, average 57.7, which is good for uh, blue-black. I mean, you were not going to complain about it. And this is clearly a toxic proliferate hybrid deck. Uh, top card, Blight Belly Rat, 1.3 copies. We have 1.2 copies of Prologue to Phyresis. Uh, Fest Pestilence, Siphoner, Vraska's Fall. All these cards make poison uh, um, in, in some way or another. You have Experimental Augury, uh, the, um, uh, the pick one card from three and then Proliferate. Whisper of the Draws proliferates. Anoint, of course, is good anyway. Voidwing Hybrid, Toxic Flying Creature. Uh, Sheldred's Head Cleaver, uh, an evasive uh, toxic creature. 
um, and uh, you know a, a bunch of other things that make toxic. So you're basically quite all in on on this toxic strategy in this cluster. Um, and when we look at the trophy decks from that, here we see two Prologue of two Pyreses, Serum Snare to make the games last longer, Sheldred's Edict to make the games last longer because your clock is not as fast, but you have the two Head Cleavers, Stinging Hivemaster, Annihilating Glare and Annoyed, Blue Sun's Twilight sort of casually there. Um, but you have like Bring the Ending is good in those decks because it will very often be just a counter spell for two. Um, Tekuthal. That's another card, like the two two of the cards that from my last week's list of the cards that slow down the uh, games the most, uh, they have that. Um, what else do we have there? I mean, obviously the the the, uh, the trophy decks will have a bunch of bombs because that's what trophy decks do. But here we have a deck that has two Black Sun Twilights because why wouldn't you? But it also has Pestilence Siphoners. It has three Whispers of the Dross, uh, two Mesmering Doses. Um, Blightberry Rats, uh, uh, what else? Unctus Retrofitter for some reason. Uh, here we have a deck with four, four Void Wing Hybrids. Here we have a deck with three Void Wing Hybrids. Uh, here we have a deck with four Proloctify Rhesus and like going absolutely all in on the Toxic. Two Void Wing Hybrids, two Stinging Hive Masters. But yeah, I mean, you can see how it actually weirdly, um, how the uh, clustering actually works because you really see that all those cards are linked by this poison theme and they do cluster together um, uh, as if by magic, but that's just math. Um, here we have uh, cluster number one, which is two, 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 this cluster. And in this cluster, we have uh, top cards are Mesmerizing Doze and Elemental Augury. We have Blight Belly Rat, Whisper of the Dross, and Prologue to Phyreses, but in much lower numbers. So this is like a less all-in on the uh, uh, Toxic decks. And they still have a bunch of those same cards, but I think that this is a less pronounced uh, version of the Toxic deck um, compared to the other one. Uh, and here we have a slightly different build. So here we have, again, Experimental Augury, Mesmerizing Dose we have again. We have Anoint with Affliction because that card is just good, but here we see things like Gitaxian Raptor, doesn't make any Toxic. Icor Synthesizer doesn't make any Toxic. Glistener Seer, all three of those cards have actually um, um, oil counters. So actually that one, it looks like it's slightly heavier on oil. You're still going to probably try something with Prolog to Phyreses. There is still the Voidwing hybrid, but you have things like Troller Drake, for example. So this looks like a hybrid deck of oil and toxic synergies, but I think with like heavier emphasis on, um, on the oil decks. And uh, I'm pretty sure that here we will find some, oh yeah, we do. We find some Acre Plate Golems, for example, and uh, in, in those decks. Um, because they will, well, they will at least try to uh, do something with oil. Uh, so that's cluster two, and we have still cluster number three. That's the one that is really the most far away from uh, from from the toxic cluster, which was here. And here we have top card is Markatras Watcher. Uh, we have Gitaxian Raptor. We have Elemental Augury, uh, but we also have like again Icor Synthesizer, Mesmeric Dose. So it's more similar to that first uh, deck. Uh, to the uh, last, um, to this last kind of uh, cluster, uh, we still have Voidwing Hybrid just because that card is probably just open. But for example, this one has Quicksilver Fisher in uh, almost one copy per deck, which is something surprising. And then we have Chrome Prowler, Anoint with Affliction, Bring the Ending. This is a sort of controlly version of those decks, I think. Um, yeah, 
that's a good one. Maybe I should, uh, maybe I should uh, convince Pekka because it's always, it's always tough to, to I, I always try to filter them and it takes me time, but if they will, maybe the color of the uh, card name will be in the color of the rarity would be a useful. That's a very good uh, suggestion, Arashka. Uh, so yeah, this, this looks like slightly different build that is more kind of controlly good stuff, finishing with big flyers while controlling the game with some removal and 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 good defensive creatures uh, that I think obviously all those decks should contain some bombs because why should you even be in blue when you don't have good bombs uh that's the question let's maybe look at this cluster I don't expect much from it but let's look at it cluster number four uh that that looks like it doesn't make much sense and it would be not surprising for me that it doesn't make much sense um okay black red Okay, black red. We need to play around with the percent win percentages again to see the clusters better. So the first cluster will start here, and then we have a couple of others. So let's look at this cluster, this cluster, this cluster. So I can tell you already, like as a spoiler, these are all decks with char forgers. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> okay, first one, cluster zero, 61% win rate, so solid. Uh, top card, Axiom Graveyard, and Chimney Rubble, Furnace. Strider, Hex Gold Slash, Barb Butterfist, Volt Charger, and then Charforger. Red, 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 Charforger, red, 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 red. So this is basically red decks with a Charforger and some maybe a couple of other black cards. So we look at the trophy decks, Barb Butterfist, two Charforgers, Chimney Rebels, Furnace Striders, Hazardous Brass, Archfiend of the Dross, okay, that's why you played black. I get you, I get you. And then red card, 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 Testament Bearer, another really good card for that kind of uh, decks. Urabrask and Volt Charge, also red. So this one has a to grand total of four black cards in it and quite a lot of swamps actually uh, because they play double, double pipped Archfiend of the Dross. Um, but yeah, I mean, that that's one way of playing black-red, I think, that playing a heavy red deck that does have um, some black cards that you manage to get along the way. Um, yeah, Testament Bearer is the four one that dies into the Organ Hoarder's ETB ability, basically. Uh, cluster number one, top card in it, Charforger. Again, no surprises. Volt Charge, Annihilating Glare, Chimney Rubble, Hex Gold Slash. So... In the top five cards for these archetype, you have three removal spells, which probably tells you something because then you just go slightly lower, you get annoying with affliction. But this is the kind of uh, black red deck that you have some good two for one creatures, Tarforger, Chimney Rubble, and a bunch of removal. And that should be enough to win the game because you kill a lot of their stuff. And uh, at the same time, um, at the same time, uh, you have so much removal that you can deal with the opponent's threats. And then in the end, you might as well kill them with the 1-1 one, one leftover tokens from the Chimney Rubble and Charforger. This looks like very much an attrition archetype. Also, Annihilating gray Glare with uh, two Charforgers and two Chimney Rubbles seems like a good plan. So sort of like removal control mid-range deck, I would say. Of course, it has to have early creatures in this format because you just need to have uh, early creatures. Cluster two, four wins roughly on average. Uh, Furnace Strider being the top card for that one. And you have Charforger, Chimney Rubble, Butterfist, Hexgold Slash. We saw all those cards before. 
So again, good cards. This this one is a bit more on the chunkier side because of the number of furnace striders, I think. But then again, all the all the trophy decks will always have some some sort of bombs. Wait, do I see an 18 land deck? Hmm. Interesting. Um, another cluster, 4.1 wins on average, uh, one and a half char forgers on average, and that's the top card for the archetype. And here we have Barb Butterfist, Hex Gold Slash, Volt Charge, Chimney Rubble, Anoint. Same, 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 same things, just in a different proportion. All of those decks, even though they cluster separately, um, look pretty similar, which means that this is not a very diverse uh, archetype in terms of where success lies. Cluster number four, also Charforger, Hexical Slash, Chimney Rubble, blah, 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 all the same things. I don't see anything different in there. It just like differs in ratio between them and, and one cluster had much more removal. And the last fifth cluster, same thing, bunch of hex gold slashes, charforgers, axiom engravers, all that kind of stuff. It's basically a red oil deck with some black splash. You don't see any of those kind of weird uh, sacrifice uh, decks that maybe you could speculate before the format. And this is a bad cluster, so I'm not going to explore it. All right, red green. See the difference in the number of nice dots uh, in red green? Green will have definitely several clusters, but you have to go to 70% win rate to actually start um, stop seeing blue dots. So this is the most successful cluster. Let's take a look here, 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 uh, here, here, and here. Because it's red green, it's the biggest uh, and the most successful color combination in the format so far. Um, so cluster number one, average win rate 65%. That's great for a cluster of 20 decks. That's and you know you have forty two decks uh, inside, so that that covers quite a lot. Top plate card, cool, Dotha Cackler. I don't think it's because that's so important, but I think that's that because it's so available. Then you have Predation Steward, Oil Gorger Troll, Lattice Blade Mantis, Vorak, uh, Axiom Engraver. So far, Oil Payoff, Oil Enabler, Oil Payoff, Oil Enabler. Really good card, Oil Enabler. Uh, Hexagon Slash, and here we have the Churning Reservoir. These are those Churning Reservoir decks. When you have also Urbrusk's Anointers, um, Furnace Riders. For some reason, the um, Google self-corrected names of the cards, and we have Rusty Cultivator rather than Rustvine. Uh, that's that's where it goes. But a bunch of those cards will have oil, and there will be a bunch of uh, oil payoffs. And you know, I'm pretty sure that the trophy decks are peppered with bloated contaminators and things like that. But importantly, this cluster shows you how the decks look like when they want to have Churning Reservoir actively. Uh, and, and, and that's basically it. Put good oil payoffs in large numbers, uh, pepper in some just generically good cards like Contagious Vorak, and you should be good to go. I think that, yeah, this, these decks are also slightly different in a way that they don't run that many copies of Blazing Crescendo. Although some will, but uh, but it's not it's not many copies of those. Uh, right, cluster number one, 66% win rate. That's really great. And here we have the top card being uh, Lattice Blade Mantis, uh, Furnace Strider, Kaldotha Cackler. So same kind of thing, like bigger of those uh, of those oil linked threats. Uh, Free from Flash, Axiom Engraver, Contagious Vorak, Predation Steward, Cinder Slash, Ravager. So this is the your classic Ravager uh, oil deck. Um, yeah, and I mean, it has all the good cards, but what you want to see is that 
it's pretty flat in what it has. So it doesn't really it doesn't really matter that much uh, if you have Furnace Strider or Lattice Blade Mantis. They're quite interchangeable. And I think that this is like a big part of why why red green was such a good color. It was underdrafted, but also there was a lot of flexibility in which cards you put in that didn't damage your win rate. Like in white blue, you will be it will be problematic for you if uh, on your pod you will not open uh, many of the um, just this year's. Um, okay, what do we have in this one? Axiom Engraver, Furnace Rider, Chimney Rubble, Blazing Crescendo. Um, Free from Flesh, Rusty Cultivator, Rustvine Cultivator, Coldrotha, Cackler, Vorak, Old Charge. Similar deck. This one has both Blazing Crescendo and Free from Flesh uh, as one copy per deck. So this is the ground creature um, aggro oil deck that wants to use combat tricks. Uh, 1.4 engra engraver per deck, but I'm, I'm sure that there will be some that don't have any and some that have a lot. Um, but that's also again small differences between between this and um, uh, and the other. Here we have another cluster, sixty three percent win rate. Uh, Predation Steward, Axiom Engraver, Cackler, Mantis, Volt Charge, Rustvine Cultivator, Olgorgetrol, Cinder Slash Ravager. This is the one that has a very U shaped mana curve. I think it's like a bunch of two drops, then nothing much, and then just uh, Cinder Slash Ravager and Oil. Uh, Gorger Troll. Um, so U-shaped curved kind of um, aggressive oil deck. What do we have here? Hexagon Slash, Butterfist, Rubble. Uh, it's more or less the same, to be fair. I mean, it's it's a big cluster, but uh, it seems like the problem with red-green, or problem, problem, um, benefit of it, I think, um, is that there's lots of replaceable powered creatures in, in those decks, and, and, and you're happy to play them. Like here, for example, Blade Graph Aspirant is the card that maybe is uh, on the weirder side. And they play Branch Blight Stalkers as well in this version. Shrapnel Singer. So this one like definitely overdoes it on two drops uh, for some reason. Uh, cluster number five, Engraver, Mantis, Furnace Strider. You see all these three uh, appearing on and on. Rustvine Cultivator, Kuldotha Tackler, Chimney Rubble, Hexel Slash, Da 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 that's a sweet combo. Cinder Lash and Offer Immortality. I think that's that's something that you want to do at least once in this format, just to see the hatred in your opponent's face. Yeah, these were the clusters, and I have to say, I mean, they they were all quite samey. And I think that this is mainly because, yeah, green red is just very reproducible. What do we have when you go a bit further? We have Oil Gorger Troll kind of cluster, but it only has 61% win rate. Just much higher than anything blue-black could have had to offer. Okay, that's red-green, nothing nothing important. White-green. Here I can ex hope to expect some differential clusters. So let's look at this one that is far away from everything else. This one that is far, this one, and the big one. So let's look at the one that was the outlier. What do we have here? Vorak, Stalker, Attendant, Shepherd, Predation, Complete Devotion, Plague Nurse. So this is definitely looking for uh, Toxic. I mean, when we look at the top cards and yes, Thermorphic Expanse, yes, Contagious, Vorak. But apart from that, Stalker, Toxic. Indoctrination Attendant, Toxic. Basilica makes might that are Toxic. Ruthless Predation Removal, Complete Devotion, Toxic Synergy, Plague Nurse, Toxic Enabler, and the Toxic Creature. Incisor Glider, Toxic, 
reward, duelist of deep faith, toxic creature, cleansing raptor, toxic creature, slaughter, singer, toxic creature, tyrannic atrocity, toxic creature, crawling chorus, toxic creature. So even though the numbers of the cards are quite flat, you can see a clear trend in, um, in this wanting to be a toxic deck. Um, oh yeah, as, as Wraithbone81 uh, uh, mentioned, mainly green toxic in that deck. Although, you know, at the lower end, we had Flensing Raptors, Duelists of Deep Faith, but uh, this deck looks like, you know, well, no, there's also Shepard and in uh, Indoctrination Attempted. There is some stuff that is not green, but it actually leans quite heavy on those green uh, creatures. Even like Tyrannix Atrocity, the 5-mana 4 for Haster, even Plague Nurse uh, found the space in this particular build to the tune of 60% win rate across 32 decks. Um, cluster number one. We have a bunch of Contagious Vorax, Ruthless Predation, Lattice Blade Mantis, Predation Steward, Cultivator, Evolving Adaptive. So first six cards are all white, and then only we have Flensing Raptor, but then we go back to Incubation Sacks, Branch Bike, Stalker, and uh, actually Titania's Growth is played there more. Uh, so yeah, this looks like green deck with some white cards added to it. And also you can look from the ratio of lands in the trophy decks. 9-7, In uh, most of them, there is more forest than plains. Uh, cluster 2, 61% win rate. Flensing Raptor, Complete Devotion, Branch Blight Stalker, Basilica Shepherd, Planar Disruption, Heart of the Mites, Crawling Chorus, Incisor Glider, Duelist of Deep Face, Zilix, Conviction, Vorak, um, Indoctrination Attendant, Sinew Dancer, Luther's Predation, Tyrannix, Atrocity. Most of those cards are white. So this is the white version of the green-white Toxic, uh, uh, with some notable exceptions of Branch Blight Stalker, which is an important two-drop, I guess, for them. Especially good when you have Flensing Raptors. Um, cluster number three, the last one that I'm going to look at, Flensing Raptor, Complete Devotion, Duelist, Crawling Chorus, Dealer's Conviction, blah, 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 bunch of white cards with Branch Blight Stalker added in. Um, and even Icor Basilisk, Icrospit Basilisk is even made the cut and Plague Nurse in many of those decks. If it works, it works. Okay, white, green, did white, black. That one, no, wrong direction. So these are our four clusters. We just need to develop them a bit. Okay, one, cluster one, cluster two. Oop. Okay, let's take this cluster and let's take this cluster. Um, okay, cluster zero, white, black. Uh, here we have uh, Top Guard, Crawling Chorus, Complete Devotion, Indoctrination Attendant, Raptor, Glider, Duelist, Shepherd, Charge of the Minds. It's really a bunch of toxic uh, synergies. Um, uh, one interesting thing maybe is that it plays more Zealous Convection than the average deck. And it definitely leans heavily on the Basilica Shepherd with one copy per uh, deck on average. Uh, Cluster 1, win rate 63.8, and it has 1.5 crawling choruses in the deck. Um, Duelist of Deep Faith is close second. So it definitely is the very early mono-white almost uh, kind of uh, toxic deck when Black plays the support role by having, you know, Pestilent Siphoner, Stinking Hive Master, uh, and some removal. So yeah, very aggressive version of a toxic deck, to be fair. And the one that actually looks like it's trying to kill with... Um, with poison damage. Cluster two, which is third cluster. Hive Master, Rat, Siphoner, Anoint, Whisper of the Draws, Bolt Picker, Scourge. So six out of the six top cards are black. So yeah, 
This means that we have a black-white rather than white-black version of the archetype. Notably, it wins slightly less. It's got like 60% win rate, uh, 3.9. And cluster three, the one that is the furthest. Again, siphon. <clears throat> Siphoner, Blightberry Rat, Bone Picker, Scourge, Anoint with Affliction, Bilious, Skaldel, Dweller, Nihilating, Gray, uh, Glare. Everything has, except for that poor Testament Bearer, everything in that list has something to do with Toxic. Oh, sorry. And there is also the, 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 the Sphere Lands, which I don't count. But important to see that in this deck, even though it's so heavily on Toxic, there is fewer complete devotions. Uh, on average. And, you know, if it's across 20-something decks with their 20 neighbors, I think that you can sort of trust that one. Um, definitely they have more Bilious Skull Dweller, the one once with Death Touch um, anymore than uh, anything. Okay. Do I want to check those clusters if they add something to the table? Um, cluster number four, we have Crawling Cores, Rat, Raptor, Siphoners, Hive Master. Yeah, not much to overthink there. Five... Horus, Siphoner, Affliction, Glider, Raptor, Whisper of the Dross, Duel, so Deep Fate. It's, again, it's it's a classic Toxic Poison deck. Uh, and the last cluster of, let's see, cluster three, which one was that? Ah, yeah, okay, I, I know, I know, okay. I, I, I got lost a bit. I'm falling asleep as I stream. That will be the first if streamer falls asleep while, uh, while streaming. And the last cluster, cluster six, Basilica Shepherd being the top card and being quite drafted quite highly. Also, this is the build where Mandible Justicia in black white uh, does seem to be helping because they have 0.8 copies of it. And the win rate is pretty decent. Okay, the color with least uh, identity, like green, but uh, lacking advent, uh, personality, but having successful clusters. So let's see what they have in them. And maybe this one is a bonus. Okay, let's see cluster zero. Um, Vorak is the most popular common, which can't really surprise me. Rasvine Cultivator there. So I guess you're doing some oil shenanigans and casting more expensive spells. Mantis, Predation, Oil Gorger Troll, uh, Testament Bearer, Adaptive Sports Singer, Stinging Hive Master. A bunch of the kind of value cards, and I think that uh, it's important to know that there's not only all-in uh, kind of uh, toxic strategies. Um, and anyway, I think that black-green does not yield that many opportunities of um, uh, of doing the kind of black-green toxic. I think that the Rot Priest was more splashed than played in the black-green decks. Uh, here we have another deck, Vorak, Anoint, Mantis. Stalker, Predation Steward, Rusty Cultivator, Ruthless Predation, Thumb Removal on top of that, Stinging Hive Master, a Blight Belly Rat. There's, there's plenty of stuff that can uh, put poison counters and or proliferate. And I think that that's what this deck is trying to do. Or should I say these decks? Uh, cluster 2, that's only 56% win rate, which is less interesting for this uh, particular course, seminar. And then 54, that's also too little. Okay, so we had the clusters for black, green, blue, green. Now that's that that's the color that I'm um, interested. Oh, question. We got a question from NLI10. Where, how would you find, for example, the Atraxa decks? So that is something that I said uh, earlier in the seminar I planned to do, but ran out of time. 
what I plan to do is take decks that do contain particular card. Now, Atraxa is specific because the sample size is quite slow, uh, quite low on it, on 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 Atraxa. Um, but I would just do the same analysis, but instead of analyzing decks that are of particular color combination, I would um, I would just take decks that contain Atraxa and find successful uh, um, clusters of of uh, of those decks. Because if every deck has a Traxa, then at least I know that I'm testing a Traxa decks. Yep, makes sense, hopefully. So here we have the blue-green. Eh, I don't want that cluster. Bad. Sometimes the, you know, making squares be so hard. Yeah, let's make that's enough, I think. Um cluster zero, 58% win rate in green blue, which is not bad judging the average win rate of this color combination. And here, okay, that's I think a very easy cluster. Gitaxian Raptor, Oil Gorger Troll, Lattice Blade Mantis, Skullbomb, Vorak, Ikor Synthesizer, Mesmeric Dose, Ruthless Predation, Glistening Seer, bunch of oil stuff. That looks to me like the uh, the decks where, where oil uh, will be shining. And we have Cluster 1, that's only 55% win rate, so probably not worth digging too deep into it. Of interest, it has a lot of Ecor synthesizers, for example. Uh, cluster 2, 57% win rate. Now I'm interested in uh, blue-green decks that have 56-7% win rate. Um, yeah, Old Gorger Troll, Gitaxian Raptor, um, Augury for proliferating that, those oil counters, Ecor synthesizer to maybe turn into a thread that will slowly ping the opponent down. Um, Mantis. Here, all those things have uh, oil counters and you can proliferate them. Uh, what else? I mean, yeah, that's that's just a straightforward oil kind of build. Uh, number three, Mercator's Watcher Prophetic Prism. So here we're definitely doing something different. Here we're having blue-green artifacts. Is it possible? Watcher, Prism, Skullbomb. Um, okay, then we have Raptor, Mesmeric Dose, Experimental Augury, Contagious Vorak, Lettuce Blade, Mantis, or Gorgia Troll. Um, yeah, so some artifact synergies, but it seems like the user didn't follow up on them and decided to play it just as a sort of attrition kind of card. And the last chapter, 57.6, that's good for that um, archetype. Contagious Vorak, 1.2 copies. Tainted Observer, the signpost for the um, Vorak Observer, that's a proliferate package. We have some Dune Movers, so maybe some splashing going on in Terramorphic Expanse. Um, uh, glistening Sears and Augury for card selection, um, and then some early early creatures like Canker Bloom, for example. I'm pretty sure that some of those decks will be splashing. And you can see there is the Swamp. Um, what are they splashing? Kaito. Um, wow, they played the Gauntlet and Trophy. Congratulations. Um, must have been nice. Do we have any here? We have a Swamp here. Again, Kaito. Um, which, one's, which one is Azuri Stalker of the Spheres? I don't even know what that card is. Oh, that's the one. Uh, I actually played it in one of my decks. That's the one that um, that's the one that proliferates twice and draw. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, green, blue, not green, black. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. I get it. I get it. Um, I actually played that card. Well, another deck with Kaito. So, are, is this cluster just dedicated to decks with Kaito? No, I think that they're dedicated to uh, green, blue, and a splash, basically. And actually performing not so bad with a 57% win rate. That's not bad for green, blue.
Um, blue red. Ah, yeah. So this is the deck where I found that there is like one really dominant cluster, and that's uh, that's the one here. So we can check what's inside here. But we also have some couple of couple of maybe less successful, but possibly uh, interesting clusters. I don't know if that's worth to highlight, honestly. Um, okay. So first deck, sixty-two point six percent win rate, and blue red is not so great. And yet we find clusters when uh, you actually can see 62% win rate over 54 decks, which means that probably a lot of people draft blue-red very badly, but actually blue-red can have good decks. And um, this particular build, uh, top card Icor Synthesizer, 1.6 copies. Then we have Hex Gold Slash, 1.4, Volt Charge, 1.3. So um, some cheap removal, uh, Icor Synthesizer, Gitaxian Raptor to stabilize the game, Cerebcore Chimera, which is not great, but I guess you get it cheap and it does something. Um, but uh, there is a Furnace Strider, um, so you want to have some chunkier things. There's actually churning reservoirs in solid numbers. Um, so yeah, there is some oil synergies, there is some uh, proliferate synergies, there is some spell synergies, like a bit of everything um, in the uh, blue-red package. I think it's not far off from um, what Sam Black was telling about uh, blue-red, that you want to be have early drops, U-shaped curve, bigger threats, because you don't have uh, staying long power because the bombs are not strong enough. Um, and uh, yeah, that looks very much like what he was uh, describing as the blue-red archetype. Uh, here we have cluster one. That's Markedly lower win rate, top card, hex gold slash, and volt charge, uh, butterfist, strider, rubble, engravers, camp, blazing crescendo. This is all red, basically. Then we have like surgical skull bomb and Icor synthesizer, serum core, chimera, and then we get another bunch of uh, red cards. So this is like red decks with some blue added, probably because they have some bomb and blue, potentially. Um, oh, yeah, I would have to dive into this data a bit deeper to know what's in the which decks are in the cluster to measure it. Uh, currently, we don't have that. So I'm sorry to disappoint in this particular case. Here we have cluster number two, 56%. So similar as the previous one. Anything interesting? Looks very much similar. There is Anctus Retrofitter in this. Uh, so there is some more of the... So this, I guess, is the coveted... Uh, blue-red artifact-based uh, version, which is still similar to um, to the other versions, but it does have uh, a bunch of artifacts, the Skull Bomb, the Butter Fist, um, Watcher, Prowler, Escaped Experiment, all of those are uh, overplayed. Even Eye of Malkator makes it on some of the copies of those. And markedly fewer Gitaxian and Raptors. So I guess that this is the uh, artifact-based blue-red. Um, and this one has too low of a win rate, honestly. So it looks like the best version of the deck is clearly the one that has some oil synergies and spell synergies and proliferate synergies combined uh, and picking up the best cards of those. And actually some churning reservoirs might not be terrible in those decks. Oh, you mean, oh, sorry. Yeah, so uh, JPSN54 said, it's funny to see that the artifact-based blue-red deck seems to be the home for Furnace Skull Bomb. Uh, yeah, it is interesting because the card, I'm not a big fan. 
but you can get them late now and maybe maybe it is playing some role in those decks I'm just trying to see if you see them also in the uh, trophy versions of those furnace punisher furnace punisher but no furnace spellbone it seems like it's a home but it's the less successful versions of it that play it so still be aware not a single one of those had uh, red skull bomb which doesn't say, say much but uh, it's something to worth considering uh two, two, two. and white red here is the last color i mean we obviously have to go to higher win rate to find the interesting clusters so this is like this is the the strongest cluster let's go down a bit and start repopulating uh maybe something on this side and definitely this one because i know what it is so maybe this one let's see what's in there so here this first super focused cluster oh yeah that's 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 a Google issue. I don't know. Um, I don't know wh why it did it. Uh, I talked to Pekka and we will try to fix it at some stage, but it did some changes to card names based on I don't know what. Um, so cluster zero 69, just like my episode 69% nice win rate. Uh, that's super strong and uh, top cards barb butterfist hex gold slash chimney rubble uh, saw blade scam at 1.2 copies which is, I think, pretty interesting for me uh, to see so many Soulblade scamps in, in, in the successful deck um, over so many decks. So I guess that actually Soulblade scamp is the secret white-red oh. finisher. Um, then you have the Blade Graph Aspirant, Brazing Crescendo, uh, Furnace Strider, Whip, that's the Splash, Axiom Engraver, Hazardous Blast, uh, Planar Disruption, Volt Charge, Cacophony Scamp, uh, Shrapnel Singer, and Free From Flash. Like ultra-aggressive Mono Red playing Blade Hole War Whip uh, and, and some maybe other white removal. But you can see that all those decks have few planes and are extremely strong. Um, oh yeah, Hex Gold Hover Wings is the card that I've seen on a couple of lists in there. Um, what else from white card do we see there? some swooping lookouts maybe even some gold warden's helm made it to the list but uh yeah triple soul blade scamp um double soul blade scamp it seems like there is something about having those soul blade scamps in 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 in, in those uh white uh red very red and then some white uh, trophy decks so yeah that's one good find most successful white red decks have so blade scams because that maybe deals the very quick damage and then because you play so many um equipment creatures or the formiridon creatures you will get counters on it and gets pinging in uh cluster one 65 win rate one and a half chimney rabbles okay butterfist slash duelist of deep faith blade hold war whip justiciar that's a bit of a weird combination, but just putting a bunch of two drops and um, some toxic, but not much. Huh. Interesting. Let's see how the trophy decks here look like. Uh, engraved, three engravers, crescendo, indoctrination attendant, justiciar, annex sentry, basilica skull bomb. So this looks like basically someone was trying to draft poison deck and then pivoted into uh, a um, white red deck while having already this poison kind of background. And Justiciars are somehow good in those things. Yeah, two blade hole war whips must be nice. Two blade hole war whips must be nice. Uh, but yeah, this looks like a sort of not all in toxic decks that 
people started picking up red at some stage. But this is still not what I meant when I talk, talk about white red toxic deck. This is like half cooked toxic deck that got lucky because they pick really good uh, red cards at some stage. Okay, cluster two, by the fact that Blade Graphs as Pyrant is the top card, I would guess this is like a full all-in kind of uh, equipment deck. Second best card is uh, Barf Butterfist, Blade Hold War Whip, and then we have like Mandible Justiciar, which actually is decent in white-red decks in, in general, so there is a home for it. Swooping Lookout at high numbers in this deck, which I would guess is useful for having lots of um, lots of uh, equipment. Volshock Splitter, I guess that's, that's a good card with uh, Aspirant. So this is your white-red equipment deck. And 62% win rate, which is not bad at all. Um, another cluster, 63% win rate. Again, Bladecraft Aspirant is the top card. So uh, uh, here we have another version of this kind of uh, hex called Hoverwings, and this one uh, quite high as well. Uh, we see a lot of those uh, for Mirrodin equipments and uh, Aspirant helping to play them for cheaps and maybe gaining advantage through that. Ah, there it is. And cluster number four, roughly 60% win rate. But the most played card, Dualist of Deep Faith, 1.7 copies over 19 decks, which is quite a lot. And the second most played card is Crawling Chorus. And the third most played card is Cleansing Raptor. And then we have Planar Disruption, Incisor Glider, uh, Indoctrination Attendant, Charge of the Mites, Complete Devotion, Basilica Shepherd. All of them white, all of them toxic. So that's basically a mono-white toxic deck adding some Volt Charges, some Blazing Crescendos, Hexcold Slashes, and uh, things like that, um, just because they could. But basically, it's a Toxic deck in white-red. It does exist. It has decent results. It has, out of 19 decks that we look, one, two, three, four, five, six trophies out of 19, which is pretty good. And this, this is the reverse of the first cluster that we watched. And actually, when you look at the map, this is the cluster, and this is the first cluster. They are sort of on the opposite sides of the blob, um, and they go from being mono-white to being uh, mono-red as we go across the graph. And here, I think that we have sort of red-white oil kind of thing. Engraver, Rabble, Butterfist, Free from Flesh, Furnace Punisher, Furnace Strider, Planar Disruption. That's just red good cards with some white added in for, for, for the lols. Um, uh, yeah, that's the last cluster, uh, the one that is located here. I think that it's very interesting, the, uh, the multiple Soul Blades camp cluster. I didn't expect that. I didn't see it on the first run through that there were so many of them and that they're so consistent over so many decks. So there's definitely something in there. Let's just like casually look at this one. Cluster six. Ah, that's the, we don't have Butterfists kind of cluster, I guess, but we still have Bladegraph Aspirants. Uh, and it still wins quite a lot because just white red is just a good color combination, even when you have poor, poorer cards in, in, in them. Okay, stop the screen, share the screen. Let's put it back on the presentation. All right, so that was the archetypes for this time. Um, I mean, I highly encourage you to uh, use it on your own and try to explore a bit. Obviously, you have to keep in mind, this is not a perfect um, uh, tool. During the 
turning of the things to two dimensions, there is always some data distortion. So some decks might look odd, uh, and and that very might well be because of that distortion, um, because it's hard to squeeze multi-dimensional space into two dimensions. Um, obviously, because there are limited number of cards in each archetype, some of those clusters will look samey and they will differ very slightly by the ratio. And some of those clusters might be built from decks that were really good in bronze, because that's also something that 17 lens data does have. I'll try to maybe include only platinum up next time. But the problem here was that if I did it, I wouldn't have enough sample size for some of the archetypes, which I find not nice, because then I would have to add gold decks to that. And then, then we compare apples and pears a bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, big thanks to uh, Pekka for helping me with the archetypist. Big thanks to the 17 Lens team for um, helping me with uh, getting the data and, you know, just being very important for the community altogether. Uh, thanks to my sponsors, both uh, mtgazone.com and the patrons. Uh, unfortunately, this week I don't have a new patron that I can describe, that I can um, that I can read out. Maybe next week. Hi. Maybe next week. Um, and also, fake, thanks to Fake Jake Brown who is helping me on the podcast uh, release, editing, and everything involved with it uh, side. And. As we are on the podcast topic, thanks to Asesku and Manajanki for the music I'm using as a starter. And with that, I'll see you next week. And we'll guess, I don't even know what topic is going to be next week, but I'll try to make it something generic and not necessarily 100% all about one. I'll try to make something universal that spans multiple formats. But with that, see you next week. <laughs>